Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Let's stand to our feet and worship together.
just be a people of praise. No matter the circumstance, no matter what our day or our life looks like, God, let us choose praise, whether in the valley or the mountaintop, let us choose praise. God, whether we're experiencing trial or joy, let us praise you, God, for you are always worthy in every season. And so, God, I just pray as we've gathered here to meet with you, to experience your presence, unify, God. It's the body of Christ. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would continue to transform us into your image, Father. God, and I just pray, Lord, that our ears and our hearts and our spirits would just be open to the message, God. God, let us respond as you lead us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Is everyone having a great weekend so far? Yeah. I'm glad everyone's having a great time. And we're so glad that you are joining us here this morning and allowing us to be a part of your weekend. And so if you are a guest with us, welcome to Salem Fields. We're so glad that you're here. Hopefully uh, you saw that uh, banner as you came in that says first time guest stop here. I just want to encourage you after service, visit that table if you haven't. Uh, we have a gift for you there. We have somebody there to just... Uh, 
answer any question that you might have about the church and who we are. And so we just want to encourage you to stop there. And then also, hopefully you got a program as you came in as well. And in that program is a connection card. It's going to be some buckets that come by during this next song. Just drop that connection card in there. Again, it's just another way that we can reach out to you, welcome you to the church, and answer your questions. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also, I want to encourage everyone to pull out your cell phones and connect on social media, whatever social media platform you use. Let everyone know that you are worshiping here at Salem Fields Community Church this morning. Uh, just that small little uh, Facebook check-in or tweet or picture on Instagram that does make a difference, whether you believe it or not. We've seen people... Come to faith because of just that little invitation. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you are online, definitely click share as well and have somebody, encourage somebody to join you at SalemFields.com slash live. Uh, we got a couple other things. So tithes and offerings is coming up during this next song. This is just another way that we worship God here at Salem Fields. Uh, we just worshiped him through song. And so this is now another way to just honor God by giving him the first of what he's given us. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so just another way that we get to honor him with what he's given us. And so there are many ways that you can give. You can give a cash or check as the buckets come by and go out to one of the giving kiosks and give debit or credit out there. Uh, if you are online, just click that button in the top right-hand corner or, as always, you can give safely and securely through the Salem Fields Community Church app. If you are a guest with us, please do not feel obligated to give. Uh, we just want everyone to give as the Lord leads you and give cheerfully. And so uh, we'll be doing that during this next song. And uh, want to encourage you, there is a mission trip that's coming up to Guatemala. There's a table out there. Go visit that and get more information about what's going on there. Uh, but also any other events in a, that we have coming up, we've put the announcements in your program. To, uh, there's a piece of paper that has everything in that program that's coming up here at Salem Field. Just want to encourage you to connect, uh, get involved with anything that's coming up, and definitely make sure you are also reaching out and inviting friends to join you at those things so that we can fulfill the vision and the mission that God has given this community, and that is to share real hope with anyone everywhere. Lastly, uh, we have a couple of pastors here on staff at Salem Fields Community Church and uh, a volunteer pastor as well that are actually uh, being recognized this Tuesday. Jessica Farley and Anthony Poindexter will be getting their district pastor's license, and that is a huge, huge honor. And then Pastor Kelly will be uh, getting fully ordained this Tuesday. And so we celebrate all three of those pastors. And so we also want to encourage you guys to be a part of it if you can on Tuesday. That's going to be taking place at the Nazarene Campground. Uh, I think it's Buckingham, Virginia. Is that right? Yeah, look at that. Um, and so uh, for directions and more details about that, just visit VA. NAZVANAS.org uh, be directions and everything that's going on. So if you want to come out and support uh, them, I uh, want to encourage you to do that on Tuesday. Joy. All right. So from here to Buckingham, it's just a lot of cornfields and a couple right turns. So it's not a, not a big deal at all. But we're really proud of you, Kelly, because it's been a long time coming. Reverend, that's what will make us call him then. All right. Well, we're continuing our GOAT series this weekend. Um, and we're talking today about John. Do you guys know who John is? Who? Let's see, I'm testing you. George Strait's cousin, right? <laughs> John was a disciple, and his brother's name was James, and that is a very important detail in his life, I'm sure. Um, and so they were like a little band of brothers, the, the disciples, a little group. So this weekend we're doing 
the world's greatest band of all time. Do you guys know who that is? The Beatles. Thank you. It is the Beatles. It's not George Strait and band. But um, <laughs> in my opinion, it's definitely the Beatles. And according to Rolling Stone and the internet. Um, as we say, they're always right. And so the song I chose, because John was Jesus's love, he, Jesus loved him the most, according to John, um, I've decided to pick my very favorite Beatles song of all time, the one I love the most. So here we go. Oh, I'm ready. One, two. just an illusion. I have a dream. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Is everybody on their, like, second or third cup of coffee? I hope. Okay, because we are going to get into it today. So, as Jody mentioned, we are in this sermon series that we've called GOAT, or Greatest of All Time, and this is our third week in. 
So if you missed the last two weeks of messages, they are online. You can check them out. We started out two weeks ago with uh, the first message of the series that Pastor Gay preached about. Does anybody remember who she talked about? Deborah, Deborah, judge from the Old Testament. And then last week, Pastor Jason shared a message about David, David, right? The, dra the dragon, the <laughs> giant slayer, the, the king, the shepherd boy, uh, him too from the Old Testament. Well, this week we're jumping over to the New Testament, which is the, the stories and letters that are compiled in the second part of the Bible that tell the, the time of Jesus moving forward. And we're going to look at the Apostle John, or John who is the, the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, as I was preparing for this message it, um, and thinking just about the goats, the greatest of all time, people and musicians to athletes and whatever, I was thinking about how usually we think of goats as famous people, right? We think of people that have been in the limelight, that have done amazing things, whether in politics or in the world or written songs that have won Grammys and awards. And, and I was thinking about this, that usually if I would ask somebody, you know, name your favorite goat, your someone who comes to mind, uh, your response to that question will show how old you are, right? <laughs> what decade that you refer to. But I was also thinking about how there are goats in our own lives too, right? That, that today I want to zoom in to the kind of the goats on the ground, the kind of normal everyday people that make a difference. So I want you to think for a second, this is a question we're going to put it on the screen here. Who is someone in your life who you consider to be great? Who is someone in your life who you consider to be great? And what made that person great? Who's someone in your life you consider to be great, and what has made that person great? And whether that's a boss, or a friend, or a coach, or a mentor, or a teammate, or a coworker, or maybe even a, a pastor, or a priest, maybe you grew up with, who's someone you consider to be great? So there's probably somebody popped into your mind just about now. Well, we're going to take the next minute or so, and I'd like you to turn to somebody around you. And if you don't know them, introduce yourself, maybe make a new friend. And I'd like you to just to share briefly that person and what you would say made that person great. You ready? Everybody good with that? Okay, ready? One, two, go. And if you're joining us online, please do the same with the people that you're in the room with worshiping. Or if you're by yourself, you can do this and maybe write that down or put it in your phone. Think about who is great in your life. and share something. Um, can, can I get two people to share their story just briefly? Who is it that you would say has been somebody you would call great in your life and what made them great? So would somebody be willing just to share briefly? Yeah. Um, one of my co-workers um, up in Winchester, she's um, empowered other parents who have uh, children with uh, special needs and empowered them to seek help in services. 
even though she struggles herself. Okay, so someone that you work with, a coworker, who has empowered other people to help others with special needs that have people in their family that has really influenced you. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Anyone else would like to share? Share somebody that you would consider to be great, something that made them great, yeah. Former pastor, I used to belong to Massaponics Baptist, uh, Reverend John Evans, and he's approaching 90, and he can no longer see, he's legally blind, but his dedication to Christ, I mean, he still does sermons and funerals, and even though he's retired, he's still, when we call him, he's, he comes running. So his dedication is what makes him so great. Okay, a retired pastor from a, a former church, someone that's um, up in age now, who continues to serve, continues to pour his life into, into other people. Is there anybody else that would like to share someone else? Yeah. My seventh grade history teacher, Mrs. Culver, who sewed into me uh, as a young, you know, middle school girl. I mean, is there anything crazier than middle schoolers, right? <laughs> and she just believed in me. And she's the first who inspired me to become a teacher. One of the things that sticks out is she used to put quotes on the board every day, and I loved them, and I became her aide the following year and said, I'd really like to have those. Of course, this is free computer day, and she went home and typed up her entire list of quotes, and I still have it to this day. Wow. So, so a teacher that inspired you now to even become, have become a teacher. That's it. Anybody else have a teacher or a coach that you would consider to be great, someone that, that really poured into your life? So I want you to hold on to that thought because I want to take you to a different place and ask a different question. And that question is, how do we usually define greatness, though? How does the world usually define greatness? We think of different things, right? Well, there's one way I thought to explain this, and that's by an illustration, a chart. Um, does anybody know what this is called, like in the workplace? Flow chart or an org chart, an org chart? So um, maybe your first day on the job, somebody showed you this at the top. You kind of have your boss or your CEO, and then under them are the managers, and then you have the workers. And maybe somebody showed that to you or maybe didn't, but it still exists, right, whether you know it or not. Um, and when somebody starts out in an organization or a group, um, where do they usually come in? The bottom, right? Usually start at the bottom. And sometimes we call those people interns apprentices, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that place. Well, I have uh, when I was in school, especially during the summertime, but then um, when I was starting out in ministry, this is a picture of me when I was in seminary and also doing my internship in ministry at um, a church in Herndon, Virginia, and I was commuting up to D.C. to go to school, um, have my uh, Halloween costume all set. In case, in case maybe you grew up in a church that you know everybody got all dolled up. That's what, that's the kind of stuff we wore on on Sunday mornings. But um, in that role, I got to do a lot of cool things. I got to learn how to do the ins and outs of kind of ministry and all. But I also got really good at serving coffee. <laughs> right? That's what interns do. You send them away to do the coffee and make copies. <laughs> coffee machine, coffee, get it all together. And maybe that's your experience, maybe it's not, but maybe you've started out as the new guy, new gal, an organization or a group or even in, in your neighborhood. And, and no matter where you are, what you're doing, what's usually the goal? If you could flip back to the org chart. What's your goal if you start out at the bottom? You wanna move up, right? Your goal is not to stay at the bottom. 
You want to move up. You want to move up into that senior position. And, and why is that? Why do you want to move up? You get a little bit more of this, right? You get some perks. You get maybe the travel or the budget. You get the best jobs, the best work, the best clients. And you might even get your own parking spot. And believe it or not, there's some churches that have special parking for their lead pastors. I've seen more than this. Um, I think that's a, that's a good one if, if you're going to do that. But, but, um, but this is not just the way, the org chart idea is not just the way the workplace works, though. It's also the way your neighborhood works. It's also the way your HOA works. It's also the way your friend group works or your job site, or your high school, or your college. And dare I say, even the way your family works. And we know this, that whoever is the most powerful, who's ever in the highest position, is the one who gets all the perks, makes the decisions about what happens and what does not, decides who's worthy and who's of worth, decides who's insiders and outsiders. And that's the beauty of being on top. And I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we have a desire for greatness. And that's what the Apostle John desired, too. The classic band, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I believe, who is one of the goats, the greatest of all time, said it like this, you are a shining star no matter who you are. And I think that's true, because I think we, we are wired to want to become great. And I don't think it's a sin to want to become great, either. But the real question that we have to dig into is what kind of greatness are we after? What kind of greatness? Is it, is it looking perfect or having that position or getting to tell others what to do, especially if you're in charge of people in any way and, and teachers, you know, you're in charge of, of little people or maybe not so little people if they're in high school or if you're a manager or work at a job site or even in the midst of your family. That, that we have to ask ourselves the question, what kind of greatness are we after? Because to go back to the very beginning, when I asked you about someone in your life who you consider to be great and what made them great, isn't it interesting that we usually tell stories of great people in our lives as something very different than the org chart? We tell pe uh, stories of people who were not lording over from above, but rather... What was that? Lord, are you speaking? Okay, but lording over, not from above, but rather from below. We tell the stories of people, not who used their power to show how great they were, but rather place their greatness to deploy others to do great things. Those are the stories that we tell. So the real question is, what kind of greatness are you after? Because your answer really matters, especially when it comes to the end of your life, right? Because you know what one of the worst feelings in life actually is? Well, I think writer and theologian Thomas Merton says it like this. He says it better than I can. He says this, that people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find, once they reach the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. That's one of the worst feelings. To, to realize that the greatness that you've been chasing after is not the greatness that you should have. Because what if the way to true greatness, to move up in life, actually means moving down? See, that's what Jesus taught his disciples. That's what Jesus taught the Apostle John. Because the Apostle John, he was on a journey to redefine greatness. He was on a journey, but he started off with a definition of greatness that looked a lot like the org chart. 
See, John was a regular guy. He was a partner in his family's fishing business. And he was possibly a disciple of John the Baptist before he was called by Jesus. And we see one of his first appearances at the beginning of Mark's gospel, one of the four gospels of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have. We see at the beginning of Mark's gospel where Mark tells us this and describes it this way. He, Jesus, saw James and his brother John, who were sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat mending their nets. Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee. He was in the boat with men who were working for him. So let's just pause there. So first, we realize that John, who becomes the disciple of Jesus, John has a brother named James. And what's interesting, in the scriptures, James is always listed first. It's always James, the brothers James and John, James and John, James and John. And most likely because James was older. And if you think about it, uh, there's many of us that have older siblings, right? How many people have an older sibling in your family, right? So you know what I'm talking about. I have an older sibling that, that when you were growing up, you know, maybe you had a diffi- the difficulty of trying to follow in your older sibling's footsteps. Or maybe you had a little bit of this going on because there's a little bit of competitive nature inside both of you. I had a great relationship I still do with my older brother, and he's two years older than me. So when I was entering high school, I realized that I was going to have a lot of the same teachers that he had had two years prior. And so when I entered high school, I remember um, certain circumstance. I was, I think it was math class or something. I had one of the same teachers. And somehow, I don't know how this happened, I earned the nickname Little Becker. And everybody thought it was so cute. They thought it was so, like, Little Becker's here. Oh, yeah, she's ready. And I was like, ha-ha, isn't that awesome? Like, so wonderful, but it got old after a while. And maybe something similar happened to you, that you're always known as the sister of so-and-so, Sarah's sister, or the brother of so-and-so, you're the brother of David. Um, and, and that just kind of kept going on and on, and I think John was the same way. I would assume John was the same way, that it got old after a while, that he was always trying to follow after his brother, that he was always with his brother, and he was always listed second. So when Jesus comes along and Jesus calls these two men to follow him, they wind up leaving their fishing boat, leaving their business. They leave their dad to follow Jesus. And and eventually Jesus gives John and his brother a nickname to describe their personalities. And Mark tells us this, that James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. What a nickname, right? To be called Sons of Thunder, um, what comes to mind for me is uh, the Imagine Dragon song, Thunder, right? I hear that Sons of Thunder, hear the thunder, lightning, thunder. Are you all with me? Some of you are like, I have no idea. Anyway, look it up. Great song. Awesome. Gets you going, especially when you're working out. Good song for that. But I imagine that Sons of Thunder, these are the powerful personalities, strong personalities. These are guys who got what they wanted all the time. They got what they wanted, and they were known for that. And Jesus knew that. See, John, when he started to follow Jesus, um, he, well, first, we, we think of him usually as a great theologian, but the frank, very frank Gospels reveal some very human traits about John because he thought that in Jesus he had found a king that was a true t- ticket to true greatness. That's why he started following him. He thought, hey, this is the time for me and my people to win, the time for us to reign. 
And then all of a sudden he had a chance to be known and to be respected and to be obeyed. And he thought this idea of God's kingdom, it sounded like an opportunity for power. That's what was going through his mind. And so Peter, James, and John, the three of them became, over those three years, Jesus' closest disciples. And, and so over time, they were learning from Jesus, but then messing up and trying to figure things out. But, but John had a hard time letting go of this idea of greatness that he had in his mind. Well, in the story of, of that, that Mark tells us, that there's a time when the disciples are traveling with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, to the place where Jesus would be tried and crucified and would die, and Jesus knew this and this was a time when jesus had become super super popular among the masses so think back to when you were growing up depending on your decade who maybe the the goat musician was at that time maybe for you it was elvis or maybe it was michael jackson you know the little i can't do the moonwalk i'm not going to attempt to maybe it was justin bieber right well all these people they when crowds would come around them they would like shut down cities right they would shut down roads Justin Bieber, there was a time when he entered a shopping mall and they had to shut the whole shopping mall. Jesus is a shut the shopping mall kind of guy. There's people coming around him and trying to be with him. And so everything's crazy. And in the midst of that, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem, not for a party here, not for a concert, but I am going to die there. And he tells them this three times. The Gospel of Mark records this three separate times. Well, after that third time, there's a conversation that James and John have with Jesus. And Mark tells it like this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wait, like, pause there. So Jesus had just mentioned, literally the line before this, he had just mentioned, I am going to die, guys. And this is their reaction. Well, I think this shows us an assumption that we usually have about greatness. And I want to, in this story, I want to unpack three assumptions that we have about greatness. And the first is, we assume greatness is about getting what we want. You assume greatness is about getting what you want. Because Jesus just explained dying, and what is John's response? He says, do whatever we ask, Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And you know what that is? That's bold, right? That's super bold. Who does that? You just talked about death, and now you're like, hey, what can I get out of it? You know, It's like somebody being on their deathbed in your family, and you're like, hey, what section of the will am I in? Do I get the house? Do I get, can I get the car, too? Like, you don't do that, right? Especially to Jesus. Who does that? Well, I think when it comes to Jesus, we do that. You do that. I do that. We, we approach Jesus often the same way. Yet Jesus sometimes is, is telling us something, telling us something very important, giving us a, a guide. He wants to speak to us, but we're so focused on what we want that we don't even hear him. We are telling him, I want this, I want this, do what I ask, Jesus. And he has something completely different that he wants to say, but we're so tuned out that we miss it. What can we get from Jesus? What can we get? Because great people get what they want, Right? Isn't that true? Great people, greatness is about getting what you want. Well, the, the, one of the GOATS boxers of all time, Muhammad Ali, you might know him, 
Um, he was, there was a circumstance where he was flying or getting ready to head off to an event in an airplane. And um, the first thing that you do when you get on an airplane and sit down, usually they give an announcement that you should what? Like, buckle up, right? Everybody buckle up, we're getting ready. Well, he was sitting there and he, he had a seatbelt off. So the stewardess was walking up and down the aisle, saw him with the seatbelt off and went up to him and told him, sir, can you please buckle up your, your safety belt? Well, what happened after that was this, that uh, Muhammad Ali turned to the stewardess, and I'm going to attempt my best Muhammad Ali voice. <clears throat> and the, Muhammad Ali responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Well, the stewardess looked at him, looked up the aisle, and looked back at him. And she responded to him, well, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> he assumed greatness is about getting what he wants. But he missed it. He missed the point, right? And that's the same thing for us. We assume that greatness is about getting what we want. But perhaps it's a false assumption. So moving on, Jesus responds to the disciples, to John, and he asks this question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Another assumption that we usually have about greatness is we assume greatness is about being above everybody else. That's what they were getting to here. They wanted to be above everybody else. Because if we back up, if we were rewind in the scripture, we go back up to Mark chapter 9, we see that there's this circumstance, this case, when the disciples are kind of crowded around following Jesus, and Jesus hears that they're in a kind of argument. So Jesus stops everybody, and he says, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And of course, just like a group of kids, they'll go silent right? Well, what were they talking about? They were arguing over who is the greatest. And they weren't arguing over whether it was UVA or UNC, but they were talking about what, who gets what spot? Who gets what spot in the rankings with Jesus? Well, here we are just a couple days later, and we have John with his brother James approaching Jesus for the top positions in the org chart once again. They're trying to do so before everybody else. They're trying to one-up everybody else. And another gospel, it's kind, of, it's kind of cool, you can read this on your own, but another gospel records that it's mama who goes to Jesus to say, hey, you know what, my boys, I want you to take care of my boys. Which one is going to get the, the rankings? Who's going to sit at the right and the left Jesus? I want you to do that. And I believe that was after she went to their school teachers to argue that they needed to get A's, even though they didn't put in the work for their classes. But who, regardless of who it was, um, they wanted the perks. They wanted that special place of privilege before anybody else because they thought that they were better than anybody else. You know, have you ever done that? You know, maybe if you have siblings, you've done that. If you have children, you've seen how they kind of rank against one another, but adults do that too. You know, you know somebody like that, and please don't look at them right now. <laughs> but but it's, it's you too. It's me too. And just to prove this, I want to do a little experiment with you. I love doing experiments. This is one, this is a take-home experiment. So when you go home, friends, coworkers, you can share this. You'll have a nice discussion in the car. This will be great bonding time. So I'm going to give you three simple instructions. So just follow these. So first, identify your dominant hand. Just raise your hand. Whatever your dominant hand is, raise it lefties, righties. Okay. Now with your dominant hand, snap your fingers three times. Okay. Now, with the forefinger of your dominant hand, on your forehead, draw a capital E. 
you just did is an experimental technique that social psychologists have used for almost 40 years to determine perspective taking, which is the value of, of someone else's point of view. And so let me just describe to you what you just did. So the whole identifying your hand, snap your three times, what is that about? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's a means of distraction, distracting you, because then comes the interesting part, that there's two different ways you can draw the E. You can draw it like this, so you can see, or you can draw it like this, so I can see. So you, in this experiment, you control for handedness, you distract people, and then you ask them to draw the E, and the result is, do they tend to be more about themselves or about others? So if you drew the E for yourself, let me just let you know this, it does not mean you're a bad or evil person, okay? It does not mean you're bad or evil. But in general, in general, the more powerful people feel, the more they value their perspective over considering others. And so let me just say this, that if you believe all the time that you're the smartest person in the room, you've just proved that you're not. Because if you believe that you're above everybody you work with, everybody in your family, you always know what's right. It never ends well. See, John was drawing the E like this. He was thinking about himself. So was his brother, about one-upping everybody else. So like I said, this is a little experiment. You can have that, this conversation later about, how did you draw the E? You know, let me make my coworkers do this tomorrow. Um, but, but Jesus... Jesus responds to this request because he corrects this assumption. And he goes on to say this, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. I think they were more like, we can, yes, absolutely. But another assumption is that we assume greatness is about showing what we can do. That's what they were doing. But Jesus is, is saying, guys, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be commitment involved, and I know that you want the glory, but can you go through the pain in order to get through the, to the award? That drinking the cup was a symbol from the Old Testament that is also predicting Jesus in Gethsemane, in the garden, before he is tried and crucified. And it has to do with sacrifice and commitment. And so when he says this, and they respond, yes, immediately, without hesitation, they're, they're missing the point. And the truth of the matter is that in some ways they did. They did drink of the same cup because out of all the disciples, John was the only disciple not to be martyred, not to be put to death for his faith. They did. They gave up their lives for their faith, for sharing the gospel. But at this time, they really had no clue. Instead, they just wanted to show what they could do, to prove to Jesus what they could do. And, and we do that too, right? Like, you know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone that I would call oh, is a one-upper, a one-upper conversation? You know, you share the highlight, you know, you just had this great time at the beach and you enjoyed your family and they're like, well, I went on vacation to Tahiti and we did this and we, whatever, we're with the king from so-and-so and met him and we were on the beach for three days and we saw the whales and the dolphins, you know, and you're like, I just went to Virginia Beach, like, for a day, you know. Um, or, or maybe you're even talking about, like, something bad that happened, and you're like, yeah, I had to go to the doctor, and I had to fill this prescription, and got diagnosed with this, and they're like, well, I was in the hospital for three weeks, and I was combating this infection, and guess what? You know, there's always that, that one-up, just showing to prove yourself, 
about what you can do. See, so many times we get stuck on our accomplishments and talents about being better, but eventually all of those things fall by the wayside. Um, I, I'm a runner, I love running and I love competing. I'm a competitive person, love doing races and I, I love winning awards and getting places and I usually get those little like plaques and trophies and, and, um, and medals and such. And, and you know, I, I usually take those things and they remain in my living room or like in my kitchen for like two or three days. But guess where they end up? In a box, in the basement, where the cobwebs are and I probably am not gonna go until I have to move again. Like, but you think about that, right? That often the things that we identify so much with that are so important to us, they wind up in a box somewhere. Or they, they, do they really, really matter? Because Jesus reorients John and he reorients us to his kind of greatness. He takes these assumptions and he flips them on their head to point us to what it really means to be great. So Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So true greatness, three things about true greatness. First, true greatness is about not getting what you want. Not getting what you want. Because isn't it interesting, the people who we consider to be the greatest usually operated in less than ideal circumstances. The people that, that like Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa, they did great things in absolutely terrible circumstances. It was not the circumstance that they used to make themselves great. They didn't quite even get what they want. Dr. Martin Luther King never saw really the fruit of his labors. That, that it's interesting that, that it's not about getting what we want because how do you react when you don't get what you want? Sometimes we don't react well. That if we wanna tell what's truly inside a person, then don't give them what they want because you'll soon see what's really inside and what they're all about. The true greatness is, is not about getting what you want or even the results. There's many of us that, that maybe labor for years or pray for years for people and never quite see the fruit from it. That does not mean that we stop doing that. We, sometimes we don't get what we want because there's something greater, that God's pointing us to something greater. Well, after this little interaction that Jesus has with John and with, with James, of course, the other disciples are also there and they see this all going on. And so there's this time when uh, the 10 hear about this. The scripture says they became indignant. The Greek that this scripture is originally written in, it uses a word that indicates they were going to rip them to shreds, <laughs> limb by limb. So let me just read this. So when the 10 heard about this, they became to the point, indignant to the point that they wanted to rip James and John to shreds limb by limb. But Jesus paused them and called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But then he says these four words that are the game changers. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man himself did not come to be served to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So, so everybody gets word. They're ticked off to the point that they want to rip these guys apart, limb for limb, and not because these guys asked Jesus about this, because they got to Jesus first, that whole thing again. You know, think back to school and the dreaded group project when you had to do it, um, or maybe even on, on your job site. You know, have you ever been on a team when one person has been in it for themselves? What do the others wind up doing? We wind up saying, well, if that's the way the game's played, then I'm going to be in it for myself too, right? I'm going to do what I need to do. And Jesus recognizes this, so he calls them together and he compares them. And first he starts out saying, you know what, guys? Gentiles, who are the godless people, people who don't know God that are just following the org chart that the world is telling them, they think greatness is about lording their power over people even hurting people to get what they want, to prove themselves. And Jesus, Jesus acknowledges, and I think we have to realize this too, that there will be leaders among the godless people who will be for themselves. Maybe you're in a situation right now that that's your boss, that's your manager. Jesus is saying, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. There's going to be people that are going to lord things over you, that are going to try to prove themselves, that are going to hurt you just in order to get ahead. But then he drops those four words, and he says in verse 43, not so with you. And I want you to remember those words, that the next time that you want to type that quick text message to get back at someone, or you want to assert yourself to prove that they're wrong, or you want to do something to show your worth, to get ahead, remember Jesus says, not so with you. If you're a follower of Christ, this stops with you. He doesn't condemn them, and he doesn't condemn us for wanting to be great, but rather he flips that upside down. And he shows two ideas about this. First, that true greatness is about serving everybody else. Become a servant. It's hard, right? That, but, but Jesus says to John, he says, you don't ascend to greatness, you descend to greatness. Greatness is something that's humbling. That it's not about what you have, but it's about what you do with what you have. It's, not, it's about how much you give away for the benefits of other people. That if you're in charge of anyone in any circumstance, your job is to make them look great. Your job is to support and serve other people. And, and I know this from experience, that if you never humble yourself, something will eventually come along to humble you. See, we assume that greatness is about serving ourselves, making ourselves look great, but it's really about serving everybody else. And the second piece is that we assume greatness is about showing what we can do, but true greatness is about doing what's difficult. It's about doing the difficult thing. Jesus is calling them to a higher standard. And if you're a follower of Christ, that's what you're called to, too. That's what I'm called to, too. If you're a person that does not know Christ, then, you know, you can follow however the world tells you. But he's saying, no, not so with you guys. You're called to do the hard thing. Do what's difficult. And we don't see it until later. But if you read on in the scriptures, and I encourage you to do that, Gospel of Mark is a great place to start because it's a kind of short, quick, moving story. tells you the whole experience. Gospel of John, John is a more literary person. He uses flowery language, but he describes things really intensely. We don't see it until later, but Jesus' words planted themselves in the heart of this son of thunder known as John that very day. That this conversation, I think, was a turning point for John, because when Jesus goes to the cross, John is there. Other disciples have fled, but John is there, and he's standing there next to Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, 
And Jesus tells John to take this woman, to take this, this lady, Mary, into his household as his own mother. Because he knows that he will pass soon. And what does John do? He does it. It's a very costly thing, especially in ancient times, to take another person into your household. But he does it anyway. He humbles himself. And then three days later, after Jesus' body is placed into the tomb, John is among the first to arrive at the tomb with Peter. And that's the Easter story. You see, Peter runs on ahead and goes into the tomb and think John is the smart disciple because he stands at the end because you don't know what's in, an, in a tomb that's been open, right? That's the smart, there might be zombies in there, you know? You watch Walking Dead, he knew that. But he waited at the tomb and he let Peter go in, but then he goes in and the scripture says that he saw and believed. And then when this movement, not called Christianity, but called the way, followers of the way, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, when this started to spread around the known world, John became one of the leaders in the church. But it wasn't by lording from up here, but serving from down here. And he was sent with Peter around the world, and he eventually wrote the Gospel of John to just put all these stories of Jesus because he knew that his time on earth was going to be short. And then he got in trouble for it because the emperor heard about it. The guy at the top of the social rankings, the guy at the top of the political power of the day was not happy with this guy who was leading from down here. And so about in 95 AD, John was exiled to the island of Patmos where he remained because the emperor hoped that he would die alone on the island. But guess what John did there? Even in the midst of being by himself in exile, he wrote the book of Revelation where he received visions. God gave him visions that he compiled into this book that we still read today. And then he outlived the emperor that exiled him there. And then he was eventually released by the emperor's successor and he went back to his new hometown of Ephesus, the lone survivor among all the disciples. He was the only disciple not to be martyred, not to die for his faith. Even his brother was put to death for their faith. See, what made John great? It's the same thing that has the potential to make you great and to make me great. That usually we think of that org chart as being the, the top of the power that we want to achieve or we just want to be liked the most or we, we want to look the best. But what if we flip that upside down and what if, what if we took John's position and instead of leading from up top, we led from below and led through service. As, as somebody who someday somebody else might mention in their own story, not as accomplishments, but at the end of our lives, people tell stories not of what they've gained, but what they have given away. See, it wasn't by moving up the ladder that John attained greatness, but rather by going down it. And, and let me say this, that you might say, you might be sitting there right now and saying, well, you don't know my workplace, Chris. They'll eat me alive. They'll chew me and spit me out tomorrow, right? Or you don't know my family. Oh, my Lord, my family, if I, you know, I need to show that I'm right. I need to prove myself. Or my school, it's crazy town, right? I can't do this. But I'm going to ask you, have you ever met a self-righteous, self-promoting person who has joy and who has deep, loving relationships with the people in their lives? See, that's why Jesus was a carpenter and not a king. And that's something clicked in John's brain. 
that led him away from competition with his own brother and towards something greater. And John says this in not John 3.16, which is a wonderful scripture to know, for God so loved the world, but 1 John 3.16, a letter that John wrote. The way that we came to know love was that he laid down his life for us so that we ought to lay down our lives for others. And if you talk to anyone who has learned this and lived this, you'll hear them tell a similar story. Someone that got out of their elevated position and just served, that challenged themselves by putting themselves in environments where they're not the expert, where they have to trust others, and the most important thing, they had to trust God with the outcome. That's where greatness happens. To you, to me, to John. So as we draw together in this last song that the band is going to play, I want to challenge you to think about what kind of greatness are you after? What kind of great, and really, really, what kind of greatness are you after, really? Are you after looking great or looking perfect? Are you after being right, being powerful, or proving your worth? Or are you willing to start with grace? Because greatness starts with grace. Are you willing to humble yourself, to be the servant, to realize that you are not the smartest person in the room, and to allow God into the space where he and only he
to share the burden with someone, to serve them, to be there. Lord, that it's through your love and your Holy Spirit that you enable us to do your work, God. Draw us together, draw us closer, draw us to become more and more like you as we seek your greatness and the way that you have shown throughout history. And Lord, we thank you in this day for all you've done, all you continue to do. But most of all, we just love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you all for joining us today, and make sure you join us next week as we conclude this series. If you have any questions, we have someone out there to talk to you more about Jesus. And before you leave, turn around and greet someone you don't know, and uh, introduce yourself and extend the love of Christ.